You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Janiel. Hey, it's Melissa. Hey, it's Shannon. Hello, it's Ed. And today's case, I want to shout out to one of our researchers, uh, Melanie, who did an awesome job. She's kind of a behind the scenes person, uh, but she did an awesome job kind of connecting the dots on this case. Um, And I want to start by taking you back to the year 1977. Jimmy Carter was president. And first, so let me just also say I was born in 80. I thought I was a Reagan kid. Like I just was looking stuff up the other day. I'm like, Jimmy Carter was still president when I was like, how freaking old am I? Like, do people so even know who Jimmy old. Carter is? Shannon, you <laughs> Yes, I do. I was five yeah. when this case happened. Oh my so. god. <laughs> anyway, so some of the most iconic bands ever were roaming the earth. I'm talking yes. Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, The Stones, Queen, the door- like you yep. name it. Yep. And I could name a hundred more. And if anyone wants to debate about it, that it's not the greatest era of music, you can, we're not having that debate because you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So the specific area I want to talk about today isn't too terribly far from here. It's about two hours north, um, Mount Pocono, PA. And the Poconos, for those who aren't familiar, is is basically short for the area surrounding the Pocono Mountains uh, in northeast PA. And the Poconos overlook the Delaware River and the Delaware Water Gap to the east Lake Wallenpompek to the north, the coal region to the west, and the Lehigh Valley to the south. Oh, and fun fact, Pocono is derived from an old Indian word meaning behind, oh, I'm sorry, creek between two hills. In case you were like, what does that word even mean? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I actually lived, so I lived in the Lehigh Valley for about 15 years, and the Poconos was always such a it was a weekend. I mean, it was a weekend getaway. and It was so easy because you were like not even an hour. I mean, you could be in you could go out for leave the city atmosphere and be in the middle of nowhere in under an hour. So much to do. We had a place up in Wallenpaulpeck when I was in, I guess, end of elementary school, early middle school. And my grandparents used to take us up for the whole summer. And uh, it was beautiful up there. Just there was so it's much so to nice. do. Oh, it's gorgeous. There is. I, miss I that. mean, there's like hundreds and hundreds of miles of, of hiking trails um, and all those numerous state forests. There's water sports on any mm-hmm. of those bodies of water. Adventure sports. You can ski. What's up there? Camelback, Jack Frost, yep. Big Boulder, Shawnee. Uh, they're the racetrack, too. The Pocono yep. racetrack. I think it's a, a the it's an annual stop on the NASCAR circuit. Well, at least it was. I assume it still is. Yeah, twice um, a year, all, I think. Is it twice a year? Wow. Yeah. Um, above all, though, I would say the scenery is what brings folks to the area, especially the um, come fall. You know, the, all the leafers come out. Like, and I'm totally a leafer. I, I, <laughs> the older I get, the more Jimmy, us Jimmy Carter folks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to 1977, specifically August 11th. And this is something I wanted to share with you guys and everybody listening, too. It's kind of a a glimpse into storytelling for television. So we always tell our these these podcasts in in like a almost like a chronological way. It's like, here's who we're talking about. Here's what happened to them. Here's where we are now. Um, And in the TV world, I would say that like 99 percent of the time when I'm on a series that does hour long episodes, 
um, they always start with something active, like something's happening. Um, and basically, you're, you're, you're trying to grab the audience as soon as you possibly can. So rarely will you hear a, hear a show start with a victim's backstory. And it's not that it's not interesting. It's just viewers want action. What happened? How horrific was this? All those juicy details kind of right up top. So I want to try to approach this story from a, instead of telling you about the victim right away, just tell you about, see what this approach and see how that feels. So August 11th, 1977. Picture perfect day in Mount Pocono. It was 85 degrees, bit of a breeze, and not a cloud in the sky. Around 1.30 in the morning, Upper Mount Bethel Township Officer Jack Nolf was patrolling the Delaware Water Gap Recreation Area for parked cars and or people who didn't belong there. Like, basically, he was just on night patrol looking for anything suspicious. At the Arrow Island Lookout, which is the Arrow Island Trail, is a, it's a trail along the Delaware, so at the, the, the point there where the lookout is, Nolf spotted a 1975 Chevy Monza hatchback. He approached it and shined his flashlight inside the rear window and noticed a tarp with what appeared to be some dried blood on it. Sticking out from underneath the tarp was human hair. And Nolf believed it was a head, is what he was kind of seeing. Shining his lighting there, he could see what looked to be a head. Nolf immediately contacted the Pennsylvania State Police as well as the local coroner. Investigators arrived and carefully opened the trunk of the Monza. Underneath the tarp was indeed the body of a young white male who appeared to be in his early 20s. The man was fully clothed in light, tight pants with brown leather trim around the pockets and a navy blue athletic shirt and, I've never heard this term, crepe-soled shoes. Crepe as in the delicious delicious treat. (laughs) That's exactly Uh, what he was wearing on his feet. Yeah, just two crepe shoes, I think. Uh, Melanie's thought it was a light, flexible leather. Oh, all right. Now we know. Uh, a cable, the kind used with pulleys on exercise equipment, so think like wire, but wrapped in some kind of rubber coating, um, was tied around his neck, a likely indication that the victim had been strangled to death. That is until police removed his body and found his head saturated with blood and several gaping wounds to his skull. An autopsy would later determine he was struck six times with a claw hammer. So right away, that tells me, just just someone who is just coming into this case, that, that it's very personal very up close i mean this this person you know i mean he wanted this guy dead somebody did and that's like classic overkill and that's always personal too like that's that's a lot of hits with a very violent instrument what do you make of the the kind of double mo you have strangulation but you also have that is just so much anger like i'm gonna make sure you are dead and that it's going to hurt you the whole time (laughs) Yeah, because when I think about ligatures, it's like, are they using it to keep somebody quiet? Are they using them to control, to like move them around places? Um, So you wonder, I don't know, the eventual cause of death was ruled asphyxiation and severe beating about the head and body. So it's kind of unclear which came first. If the strangulation was happening, was it two people that did this? One was strangling the guy, the other was hitting him. You don't you don't know. The man did not have any wallet or identification on him, and no car keys for that matter, which tells me that robbery might have played a motive. Like, some, he just took whatever was on this guy and left. And then he had no way to get his car out of there. Uh, but that, So that also led to a problem with identifying this guy. So police run the vehicle registration, and it comes back to 21-year-old David Allen Gross of Winona Road in Mount Pocono. 
which is about 22 miles from where his body was found. Um, and David's parents have actually eventually came down and, and made the positive ID mm-hmm. on him. A search of the area revealed no key evidence or potential murder weapon, although the Pocono reporter claimed that a weapon consistent with that type of hammer was found near the scene. Regarding David's car, there was no blood in the front seat, but obviously a substantial amount in the back seat where his body was found. Um, No usable fingerprints were recovered. So it's interesting that what was and was not kind of found at the scene. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, and usable, that means they just couldn't tell whose they were, or like they were smudged. Is that what that means? I just I just wrote that word as an adjective. Oh, like okay. A, like, a, like a cool adjective for fingerprints. <laughs> Got like, it. No usable ones. Maybe they found some like halfies or some like <laughs> smudgy ones, and they were just like, there's nothing usable here. Okay. And close Got the it. door and leave. Is what Perfect. I'm thinking. Uh, so it looks like, we got, looks like we got ourselves a good old fashioned whodunit. Uh, without knowing anything about David, just using the evidence found at the scene, what do you all believe happened to him? Because remember, knows. I haven't told you anything about him yet. Right. But something, an argument or something went wrong, and it's definitely someone he knows. It's not like a random attack. I definitely. Yeah, because what do we know? Go ahead, Gina. I definitely think it's personal if it was that forceful. I mean, personally, I think it could be two people even. Um, He could have, I mean, for words I can't think of, pissed someone off incredibly to the point where, you know, he was, that's what happened. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. And there are certain things we know. So the body is found in the middle of the night. But like, when did he get there? Was he, there didn't seem to be a lot of evidence that he was killed there, you know? Right. So maybe he was put in his car and driven there. somewhere else, put it and driven there. Yeah. Well, that's right. another question I have. You said the, the blood, most of it was in the back seat. So you're going to have this person do all of this crazy stuff in a enclosed back seat and then get out. And there's only blood in the back seat. It almost seems like he was well, placed in that back seat after it happened. Right. That's the way I see it, especially because a tarp was involved. Mm-hmm. So like, they did this wherever they did it. He or she or them did it um, and then loaded him up in a tarp, threw it in his own car, drove in there and just walked away. Mm-hmm. You may have said this, but do we know how long the car was there? No. No. Just that it was. Found. And I do. Have, there's a little timeline I'm going to get into here that some things that they did figure out, but none of it involves the car or when it got there. Okay, I just didn't know if it had been sitting there for a few days or if, like, it had only been there that night while the cop was out. No, and and it was tough to tell because one article mentioned that it was dried blood on the tarp and another Mm -hmm. mentioned that he was found in a pool of blood. So it's it's kind of unclear with these old articles. They weren't as thorough, you know. Not not to be morbid, but I feel like in those high temperatures, if he was in that car for more than... A day or two, it probably would have smelled. Don't you think? I, I agree. And the only thing I do know is that one of, in one of Melanie's notes, she found that um, they thought he died about 24 hours before. So sometime on the 10th, um, the 10th of August. And that must have been the autopsy results. Stomach okay. contents. Uh, what's the word? Rigor mortis. Lividity. Lividity. So... All right, so now I'm going to tell you a little bit about David, and I want to see if it changes your opinion about the whole case. 
So David was born in East Stroudsburg, PA on August 2nd, 1956, and was the only son of George and Patricia Kemmerer Gross, who died in 2019 and 2018, respectively. David worked as a carpenter for his father's business, Erwin W. Gross and Sons of Mount Pocono, and prior to his death, took a job at Taylor Art Galleries, also located in Mount Pocono. And this will actually come up again later, so remember that David worked in an art gallery. It doesn't really, it's not crucial to the case or anything, but it, it helps understand something later on. Additionally, David was a member of the Mount Allen Hunting Association and was a graduate of the Pocono Mountain High School, class of 1974. So I'm not sure if you caught the date in that earlier paragraph, but I mentioned that David's birthday was August 2nd, 1956. His body was found on August 11th, 1977, which means he had literally just celebrated his 21st birthday. Oh my God. Yeah. So in fact, he had planned his own party at nearby Cresco, PA on his father's sprawling 173 acre plot of land where David and his father were currently building a new home that included an apartment where David could live. So at the time of his death, I know that's weird. He had this gigantic property and they were basically building a new family home as well as an apartment for David to kind of move out on his own, but still be on the property. So he just had a lot of land and they were all good. They knew contracting, they knew construction and they, they were doing it themselves. Wow. Uh, so again, at the David was living with his parents in a smaller home on the property while taking real estate courses at Penn State. Um, he had no criminal record and was not known to be a troublemaker in his high school days. But according to an article in the Pocono Record Reporter, David appeared to have lived a bit of a double life. To his parents, David was described as a faithful and loving son who worked hard and had a fondness for the outdoors. They were very proud of the mature young man David had become. But as we all know, parents and friends get an entirely different version of you. I, that's, I, every per, I was thinking about this the other day. Every single person I know has a different version of me. You know? So true. Did, does that make sense? Do you want to know what we each think of you? <laughs> no, but uh, but do okay. I, am I the same person to you as I am to like Shannon or to exactly. my mom? You know, true, absolutely. So think about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so point being, David's parents <laughs> knew him. We saw the respectable, upscale David, like the clean cut guy, uh, but friends. Friends say for several years prior to his death, David was known to sell drugs on and off. At one point, his friend said David was buying up to 120 pounds at once. And we're talking marijuana. And can we just talk about how much 120 pounds of marijuana is? Holy crap. It's like two or three bales. That... <laughs> That's like... insane. Oh and my he was living gosh. with his parents. Like, how do you have this much of a second life? When you still live with your parents, you know what I mean. Where like, is he I know. putting this? Exactly, I mean, that's what I mean. Acres, so somewhere, and dude was like, oh, he, but true. he was a carpenter. <laughs> he was taking courses. He was like, didn't he was a respectable kid? Like, but but I mean, that is a, a mass amount. Wow. <laughs> I thought I did 120 pounds at a Black Sabbath now, concert one time, and it now now picturing it, I don't think it was that. <laughs> I think I'm overestimating. But seems. Just by a little bit. So let's get back to David's true side. And like, so what? He sold, the dude sold pot. It doesn't make him a bad guy. Um, Although it may be a possible motive. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, so now that we know he sold large quantities of drugs like this, his death makes a little bit more sense. 
And some things happened at his party, his For 21st sure. birthday party, that made police think so, too. So this party on his dad's property he was throwing, he spent time mowing and landscaping a huge portion of the land. He hired several bands to play throughout the day and night. And David even sent out about 100 handwritten invitations to his friends with instructions that no one brings gifts. Instead, they bring a $5 donation for party expenses. Cool ass dude, if you ask me. Oh. Yeah. yeah, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's nice. So the party was heavily attended by people from Pocono Mountain and the Lehigh Valley areas. So by all accounts, David was a well-liked guy. But now part of me thinks, like, knowing that about him, despite what, how good of a guy he was, when you're dealing with that much of anything, you're a target, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so as far as some, like, possible motives, remember David's uh, kind of complexing crime scene. Um, Old Trooper Andrew Canepa of the Belfast Barracks in Northampton County, who worked the case for several years, said he did not know where the murder occurred, saying it was possible David was killed somewhere else and left in the parking lot. So because of this, both Monroe and Northampton County officials worked the case throughout the years. And it's because the is he was found in Monroe County, but lived in Northampton County. So because they didn't know, it becomes a joint investigation. Here's what we do know. David was last seen alive shortly before midnight on August 9th, 1977, on Sullivan Trail in Tannersville by a buddy named Michael Ryan. Ryan told police he supplied Gross with about 100 pounds of marijuana that night, and he never saw him again. And real quick, what time was he found on the 11th? Like, was it really early on the 11th? So, really early on the 11th. Okay. So there was like essentially 24 hours where between when he was last seen. Yeah, 24, to when he was found, 28 about. in that range hours. Uh-huh. 25-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Go ahead. Sorry. Can I of ask course. another question? Um, so with this marijuana, his friend was selling, giving him 100 pounds of it. And he was getting at least 120 pounds frequently. I don't smoke. It just makes me gives me a lot of anxiety. Wait, I have a lot of close if you know you smoke, if do, you know it gives you anxiety, though you didn't smoke, then how do you know it gives you anxiety? <laughs> you know what? You know because you know. Anyway, I have family and friends that do it often, and some do a lot of it. A hundred and twenty pounds, and getting it frequently—that's. Emma seems like not like, all of it was for him. Like oh, he, he, he absolutely was. And I, yeah, that you can't physically smoke 100 yeah. pounds of marijuana. That's, yeah. I was like, yeah. that's crazy. It, it, like that stuff that the Dallas Cowboys used to have, like players found with that amount in there, like like a bale of it. And it, that's not even 100 pounds. So I, it's so much. So, I mean, it's no, I don't think that it's any secret that he was selling it. Um, and that's what makes me think this mm-hmm. was some kind of botched, maybe not botched, but just a pre-planned attack because of the, the amount of money or drugs he was going to be toting so god i wonder how much money he would that's have the on thing like i don't even time. i can't even comprehend how much a hundred pounds cost now let alone in 1977 obviously yeah um mm-hmm. this also led police to believe the motive could have been a robbery uh that was related to the drugs Investor, investigators were also quoted as saying, it appears the suspect or suspects was someone he was familiar with, and it wasn't a random murder. It is possible he was set up for a drug purchase with the intention of ripping him off and something went wrong. So the murderer or murderers were also described as amateurs by police because there were two methods of killings 
used simultaneously. So it, it it kind of has elements to me about I was trying to think about this and, and it has elements of like a pre-planned murder. You're bringing a cable to use to tie. You're bringing a hammer as your weapon with the intent of doing this. Or these are things that were in David's car and it was unplanned. It was feverish. It was like, what can I get my hands on to use in this attack? So it doesn't really mention if if David had things like this in his car. I mean, being a carpenter, maybe. So I, I was kind of thinking. Mm, yeah. Yes, it does say simultaneously, like it was happening all at once. But how do you strangle someone and hit them in the head at it's the same time? It's either someone's... Yeah. You know what, though? That amount of damage, though, seems almost... Like, I hate when people get away with crime of passion. But it almost seems like it's so much and it's such overkill that it was like someone snapped. So maybe he did have that well, stuff and think in about the, for the, the fact when I when I read stuff like this, when it comes up, this, like, the number six to me doesn't... I've seen, I mean, I've seen cases with 30, 40, 50, 60. So when I hear six, it says like, I, so yeah. imagine hitting someone in the head with a hammer. And let's say you've never killed anyone before, or killed anything. Oof. When do you know to stop? You know, do you, is it just a, do you go crazy for a minute or two? And that's just how many times you hit him? Or is it like you stop after every hit and see what is this guy doing? Is he gurgling? Is he, you know, like, what do you... Maybe that was six just quick. I don't know. I'm in too deep. I'm going to kill him now. I feel like it was that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe someone was setting up a drug deal, but they planned on killing David, but might have devised how they did it on the fly was kind of the point. Um, that I thought, at least. I mean, it's, it's all a possibility. Um, David's friends also believe that uh, a marijuana deal gone wrong was the motive because at his birthday party, David discussed making a new connection in the business. And I imagine he did this or winked when he said it. It was like the <laughs> business. Um, he didn't name names, but said he was looking forward to meeting them soon. And friends, friends believed, like everyone knew what he was talking about. He was talking about his drug business on the side. Um, and the friends feared that the new new connection may have been his potential killer, whoever this new person was. Do you think the new connection was maybe he was like, okay, well, I've sold marijuana. I've sold 120 pounds here and there. Let's move up. Let's do some crack cocaine. Let's do some heroin. Let's do something heavier. Could that have maybe. been? Maybe. Yeah, all, it connection? could have been. I mean, and that's that. That's yeah, all. Like yeah. every every drug has a like a, a niche market, and drug dealers are nasty people. Not, I mean, the higher up ones. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you wrong somebody, you will pay the price. So who knows if he he ripped somebody off himself? Anything's possible. Police speculated that his killer or killers may have been present at his final birthday celebration in Cresco, which was heavily attended by people from Pocono Mountain and Lehigh Valley areas, as David was seen flashing around money. So apparently he made no bones about pulling out some bills and showing them off. Um, According to his father, it was not uncommon for David to carry $100 to $300 at him at all times. Um, That's the 2024 equivalent to like $500 to $1,500. So back in 77. Wow. And the fact that his wallet wasn't recovered from the crime scene. So if he had he had fat stacks in there, that's what people were after. Do we know if any drugs were stolen? I don't know. Like, do we know if he had? Yeah. yeah. I guess that's hard to tell. Uh, police were short on suspects, but they were able to piece together a timeline of David's final days. So just it, it's 
quick just to kind of run through this. So August 2nd, David turns 21 years old. Four days later, on August 6th, David throws this huge birthday party um, where he spoke of his new business connection and was seen flashing money around. August 9th, so three days after the party um, and two days before his body was found, David's parents were leaving the house and saw David throwing uh, a Frisbee in his front yard with a friend, Rich Taylor. And I just want to bring up that last name, like Rich Taylor worked for his father, Donald, who owned Taylor Art Gallery. So that's where he was just working at his dad's, his buddy's dad's business at the time of his death. So that was 6 p.m. August 9th, that same night around 7 p.m., David and Rich, uh, the two Taylors, leave to travel to Tamament Resort Club in Bushkill Falls to help set up for an art show and an exhibit. David went as well, but drove separately because he mentioned he was meeting someone after work. This new... August 9th, 11 p.m., David leaves the Tamament Resort after loading paintings onto Donald Taylor's truck from the art show. So, and remember, he was going to... So he loaded up his boss and then took off separately. Boss went home. He went the other way. Okay, an hour later, shortly before midnight, David buys 100 pounds of marijuana from his friend Michael Ryan on the Sullivan Trail in Tannersville. So and just to put you kind of there, they'll, we can put a map up, but just to give you a kind of like triangulation. So we're about where he bought the, the drugs was about six miles from his home, 20 miles from where his body was found and 45 minutes from the Tamament Resort. So he drove 45 minutes from work to meet this guy. Uh, August 10th, it is believed that David was killed around 2 a.m. So this is where I'm thinking the, the autopsy kind of put a put a time of death on there and then august 11th his body was found at 137 in the morning at the time police uh, at the time the investigation took police to new jersey bethlehem allentown and the surrounding lehigh valley as david was known to frequent those areas police also questioned several of david's close friends administered lie detector tests all of which were passed and no fingerprints no usable prints were found in the car they might have found some non-usable ones (laughs) Uh, it was noted that trooper canape had come across a group of suspects from the lehigh valley area and felt very strongly that one of them was responsible for david's murder he had grown more suspicious of the lehigh valley suspects suspects because they were refusing to basically refusing to talk to him they didn't want to tell him anything about the case so he was quoted as saying uh, we know for a fact that there are people in the lehigh valley who are aware of or have some information or know rumors as to what happened to this victim so there wasn't many details on the actual suspects themselves, which is common. Um, local police had also long suspected a Monroe County man of having a hand in the murder. They did not mention his name, though. So, But they did say that the former Monroe County District Attorney James Greger had also talked about bringing the gross murder, so David's case, before a grand jury before he left office in 1996. That never happened, and I don't know why. No new info is released on the case until 1998 when the Pocono Reporter publishes an article stating that David's unsolved murder may soon be brought before an investigating grand jury in Northampton County. It was one of several cases that DA uh, John Morganelli wanted to bring before the jury. Again, it never happened, which leads me to believe that it was kind of a pipe dream and they just never found enough evidence to put against anybody. Um, And Morganelli, he was the DA when I was living in the Lehigh Valley and a good guy. I never read any. I think he's. I think he's a judge now. Actually, um, I never read anything yeah. scathing about him. But so I'm sorry. I assume if they had evidence, either county, they would have brought it. Uh, despite the fact that the 19, 1998 article brought David's case back into the spotlight, no one was ever charged, and the case faded into obscurity. 
and remains unsolved to this day. Uh, the only other... That's amazing. Yeah, the only... Because police even said they were amateur killers. I know. Like, that's crazy. Um, I do have a question. So, obviously, back in the day, there's no cell phones. So, there's no connecting to people that way. I feel like the only way you connect drug dealers to the drug dealers is the drug dealers you're dealing with at the time. Like, how did he get this connection? Like, would his drug dealers that he had at the time know, hey, like this person, so-and-so, like, wouldn't that be, I mean, I would have questioned those two people that were stated about, you know, people they were involved with. No, but that's a good point because it was all word of mouth and telephone back then. I mean, that's how you... So you got points across. So I mean, I, I it's an, that lends more credibility to the fact that this was someone he knew, es- especially because right. he was known to buy a hundred pounds at a time. Not not it wasn't like a regular thing, but he had done it on several occasions. There's not many people that can get a hundred pounds of marijuana to give to somebody. So yeah. Okay, I just looked up how much a hundred pounds. Of marijuana costs, and in March of 2023, it's about 300. 300 grand, grand. and this was 120 pounds. Yeah, yeah. So, so and that's like today's money, but that's a lot yeah. of money. But if he's if he's selling all that, and it's a lot of oh weed. God. You should he, see it. Like, but he's yeah. making a profit off it too. So I mean, yeah, it's. But that makes me wonder oh. if the guy that was supplying him with the hundred the, the all this this weed, if this was a recurring yeah. sale. We're never going to know who that guy is, first of all. And he probably saw he was going to sell him the hundred pounds and keep his money. And he was, he was going to get his weed. Yeah, back too. I mean that's so much money and so much weed for this like twenty-one year old from this mm-hmm. small town. So that's my that's yeah. Insane. The town only has Mount Pocono. I think today doesn't even have four thousand people. So it's small. But I think that it's a shame, though. That that's my that's my spec. That's my answers. guess is that whoever was selling him that much weed that night also killed him and took his money back mm-hmm. and his weed. Mm-hmm. In, I think this can be solved. Yeah, I think so too. It's if somebody's got to talk. I think someone because you know what? That's it's a long time. How many years ago was this? Forty something. Yeah, forty. Years? Forty. What is it? Forty six. Yeah, or sex. So if people were in their mid to late twenties, like, there someone's got to talk eventually. Because if it's that small of a town, mm-hmm. everybody knew, or a lot of people exactly. knew. You can't be afraid forever, and at some point, you have to be like, you know what, this has been eating me up for forty six years. It happens. But on the flip side, though, when when people go to reopen these cases, forty six years have passed. Like I have enough trouble remembering. The, who I saw, like, when I was getting the mail this morning, you know, like. I was going to say, what yeah, you I, that's, that's such a, <laughs> everyone says that, though. Um, so the most recent news article that came out was in August of 2023. Um, and in it, the Pennsylvania State Police stated they were renewing investigation into the case. So um, Melanie did an awesome job following up with these guys. And um, according to her, she spoke to someone out of Troop M in Fogelsville. And asked about this kind of renewed interest um, and inquired about any new leads, too. And they basically told her that nothing new sparked the article, but they often put out press releases on a yearly basis and attempt to keep cold cases alive and to seek new tips and leads. 
So it seems like it's just in a clump of cases that have they're looking to clear any way they can. So anyone with information regarding the investigation uh, can contact the Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4-PA-TIPS or online. Um, and all callers, uh, this is pretty standard, but all if you call Crime Stoppers, you rena- remain anonymous, but could still be eligible, eligible for a cash reward. Um, and in this case, it's $5,000. So if you, if you know something, could pay Come off on, somebody a knows bunch of something, Patreon say memberships. Something. Yes. <laughs> but somebody knows something. Come on. So anyway, a, a neat, not a neat story, but a neat in the fact that I do think it's, I agree with you. I think it's all cool. Yes. Just one person yeah. has to talk. And I agree that you forget certain things, but if you know who did it, you try as hard as you want. You did not forget it over the past X right. amount of years. Hey, it's Shan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keystone Cold Cases. Before we get into the outro, there's just a few things we want to remind you about. First of all, yesterday was the release of our Patreon. The cost is only $5 a month, and yesterday you should have gotten in the regular feed a small sample of the first episode. Aside from bonus episodes, you're going to get a shout out for joining the Patreon, birthday cards, stickers upon signing up, quarterly Zoom hangouts, or an Ask Me Anything with the hosts, interviews, other quarterly gifts, and some other surprises. We'd really appreciate if you'd consider joining, and if you have any questions about the Patreon, please contact us and we're happy to talk about it. Another thing that's coming up soon is our Quizzo event on February 15th. That's a Thursday, and it's being held at the Gem in Spring City, Pennsylvania. It's from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. It costs $20 ahead of time or $25 at the door. There's going to be themed drinks. There's going to be food available there. We're going to have a fun Quizzo event with a 50-50 and raffle baskets. And it's going to be so much fun. We're really excited. Again, if you have any questions about the event, please reach out and we're happy to answer them for you. Finally, we are doing a block pool for the Super Bowl. It's $20 per block, um, and the payouts are $125 for the first quarter and third quarter correct scores, $250 at halftime, or $500 for the final score. If you want to purchase a block, just reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening. That is all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and please consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find out more about us, the pod, and the cases we cover, or want to suggest a case, please visit us at kccpod.com or send us an email at keystonecoldcases at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Keystone Cold Cases and on Instagram and TikTok at kccpod. Please remember, never reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This case was researched by Melanie and hosted by yours truly find all of our sources, social info, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.